welcome. Um, I'm Kerry Wadke and this is Kyle McNaughton. Um, so I just wanted to start with, um, we can make a difference um, with the stories we tell. Kia ora, Heather Wright, because that's what she said. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, when we pitched Waru to Te Mangai Pahu for their Digital Innovation Fund in 2015, um, we had an agenda. We wanted to make a film. We pitched Waru as a groundbreaking and innovative project that would be written and directed by eight different filmmakers. Um, <coughs> And it would be shot in eight days and with um, eight ten-minute-long shorts. Each of the eight vignettes was to take place in the same ten minutes in story time, and each of the lead characters were to be wahine Māori and connected by a single event, the death of a young child. The project would have three outcomes, an 80-minute feature, eight times ten-minute short films, that we would release online and a one-off TV special. We had thought through some of the potential risks involved in making something that was so non-traditional in its methodology. Uh, where are the years of development for the script? You can't shoot a feature in just eight days. You, um, how can you tell a story with only eight shots? Uh, it's too low budget. It's technically unachievable. It's a tikanga minefield. And <laughs> um, where is one going to find eight female Māori directors? And how will you get them to work towards a single vision? These were all reasonable enough questions that we thought Te Mangai Pahu would be asking. Um, and they were all potential reasons to not give us any money. <laughs> Uh, so we were incredibly surprised when we didn't just get a yes, your project has, be fu has been funded. We also got, while this is a tough and emotional subject, I am sure that you and Kyle will do us proud. Oh. Oh, do you want to talk now? Sure. Um, so why would all the funding bodies be so keen to support a project that has so many potential risks? We think maybe it was timing. Um, it's time New Zealand saw a dramatic feature created by Wahine Māori. It's been far too long. It's time to tell a story about our children, our families and child abuse. We believe these nine filmmakers are all at a time in their careers where they want to be bold and take on a difficult creative challenge to tackle a challenging subject individually and as a ropu. It's time for Māori women to be the driving creative force behind a feature and it's time to challenge the way we develop, shoot and we develop, shoot, fund and produce film and television in Aotearoa. We want to say a big thank you to Te Māngai Pauho, New Zealand On Air who quickly jumped in the waka as well after Māori Television jumped in as well with a, um, with a, with a licence fee. The New Zealand Film Commission also joined in with, um, with support for professional development for our nine wahine Māori filmmakers. We also want to challenge our funders to continue to take on bigger and better risks on new and important stories and storytellers. <coughs> We're very proud to present to you the nine women who in only five months have created a remarkable piece of cinema. Chelsea Wynne Stanley, Awanui Shimaj Pene, Josephine Tefew, Katie Wolfe, Casey Carr, Paula Jones, Briar Grace Smith, Renee Maihi, and Ainsley Gardner. Woo!
Each will speak for five minutes about what risk means to them in the context of making waru, and that will be followed by a 15-minute question and answer session. Um, but first, here is a little teaser. <laughs> some, some of them haven't seen it yet, so... <laughs> What a journey. Still going, by the way. Um, risk. Risk and wadu. Women. Women making a bell. Pretty risk, yeah. <laughs> 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 Maori make a bell. Super risk. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wahine Māori making a film about child abuse and murder. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> <laughs> now we're all on the whiskey. <laughs> Isn't risk just like a four-letter word that farmers use when they don't want to give you money for the shit? <laughs> what is it? A story about women, for women, by women? Well, it's a bit risky. <laughs> Actually, when I think about film and risk, <clears throat> I think of Meta Mesa. I think of Meta risking her life and those of her children. When she had reels of footage, withstood months of police harassment and received death threats so that we could see the true face of police brutality and state oppression in her film party. That's right. When I think about risk in film, I think about Alanisa Bomsalan, risking her life for the plight of the Mohawk nation when she spent 78 nerve-wracking days and nights from an armed standoff between the Mohawks the Quebec Police and the Canadian Army in her film, Kanashitake, 270 Years of Resistance. When I think about risk in film, I think of the Red Warrior Camp right now capturing images on their cell phones of dogs being set upon peaceful, non-violent protectors at Standing Rock, North Dakota. Tanakweeda. I don't see, I see no risk in nine women of Māori descent coming together to have a conversation about child abuse and murder. I see courage and wisdom. I see honesty and truth. I see hope and I see ownership. Because it would be a risk if we remain silent about this issue. Because one child every five weeks in this country is, is murdered because of neglect and child abuse. And really it would be a risk if producers like Colin and Kerry were not commended for having the guts to conceive this project and back it from, from conception to end. That is a risk. And not only did they navigate the schedule around nine bleeding vaginas. <laughs> actually eight for one pound of steel was, where are you going to find eight Maori woman directors? <laughs> Ta da! <laughs> Not only, there's nine actually, wonderful woman here that made this, but I could think of another eight that could stand in our place and do exactly the same thing. There are many of us. It would be a risk if this concept was just a token gesture, you know, towards the lack of representation of women directing, because honestly, there are many more of us, and they are right behind us. And while I don't mean to undermine the ambitious nature of Waru, I don't risk my life to make this film. I wasn't in any danger, and I honestly didn't lose anything. In fact, quite the opposite, I gained a shitload. Of course it was difficult, and there have been many challenges, but let those challenges be a part of our journey, not what defines this film. Shit, I got a wax yesterday. That was probably more risky to my life <laughs> than anything I've done on my own. I mean, really, did I risk anything at all? Maybe a bit of ego and, and exposure to my fragility, the shit I didn't know and, and the option to improve on things I did. To me, that is not a risk. That's an experience. Mm -hmm. and it was a ride and it's still going. 
And you know, risk is actually just a thought. You can attach yourself to or not. It's a bit like this empty cloud. A bit like, well, that looks more like a fluff. You know, like a lady fart? A fluff? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, honestly, take it or leave it. Fart it out of the room. I didn't risk my life making this film. And I don't think about risk when I think about what earth. I think about bloody time. I think about bloody vagina time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, have to, I just have to say it straight away. I'm just, this is terrifying. Ngari, me timata tika. Korihi te manu, taikiri mai te ata. Ka ao, ka ao, ka awatea. Tihewa mauri ora. Te mea tuatahi. Te wehi ki ai hoa. Nāna nei ngā mea katoa. Kororia ki tōne ngoa tapu. Te whare e tūnei, te nā koe, te papaki wahura, te nā koe, te nā kōrua. E ngā mate o te wā, haere, hoki ki te kāinga tūturu mō tāwe te tangata. Ki Hawaii ki noe, Hawaii ki roa, Hawaii ki pāmama. Nō reira, e ngā mate, e oki. Ki te taha o tōku māma, nō tōku. Tūtepi, he tarara nō Tūtepi Dalmatia, ki te taha o tōpū pāpā, he Māori nō Ngāpuhi, Ngāti Haua, Ngāti Apakura, Tūwharetoa, ko Awanui Simich Penea Hau. Anō nei, ko taku pēpi tēnei, ko Paririmu Taimaio. Kia ora mai anō tātou. He mihi nui tēnei, kia tātou katoa, ko hui hui mai nei i tēnei rā, i tēnei ata, Ki raro i tēnei kaupapa tino whakahirahira ara ko ngā mahi kiriata Māori, ngā wahine Māori. Kia ora. Mine might be six minutes. When I first came, so it's really hard to talk about risk after I absolutely can identify with everything you just spoke about, Charles. And um, it's been an amazing process uh, to come through this with these women. Um, but when I first came on board for this project, I knew there were elements of risk, risk involved. A 10-minute one-shot story shot in one day would be a huge challenge for all departments, from writing, directing, our actors, sound, art department, uh, locations, right through to camera and grips. Um, and I understood this from the beginning, and this is the exciting part that I was just kind of, I was up for this challenge. Um, this is the bit that I was like, yeah, yeah, I want to get at this, let's do it, cool. Um, and, and then I realised I had jumped the gun a little bit to the exciting bit, and um, for me, and hadn't fully digested what it would take to get there. I didn't understand what it would require of me to find my way into this kaupapa of child abuse. Uh, my risk was owning a story uh, that spoke to child abuse. I struggled to find my way in. Uh, the subject matter felt too big and too risky to, to tackle. I felt like I, I couldn't contribute. Um, I was too scared to contribute. 
and uh, I had to find my way in organically through my own history and that was really scary for me so how much of myself should I put into this kaupapa? It felt risky to share a story close to me and my family um, but I realised it was my only way in. And so I had to be careful and I, while I felt like I had to be careful I, I had to find the right story, one that I felt okay to share and one that would also make a meaningful contribution to the overall corridor. And it was a, a huge struggle and I almost went home and they all know it. And I cried for a long, you know, for the first part of our hui, our first hui that we had because I just, I was overwhelmed by the statistics, um, by the thoughts of my child and um, all the children, all our tamariki. So yeah, it was a really big, big thing for me. But through a tough journey of discovery and incredible support from these women, um, I had a breakthrough and I, I can't even begin to tell you how, what a relief that was to finally find my story. Um, the one that I could own, one I knew to be truthful and would drive me forward in this kaupapa with, with confidence. Um, I collaborated with my good friend Josephine she wrote our script and I directed it, and, um, and together we got through it. So Titty and Bash is um, inspired by a story about my mum back in the 1980s when I was a kid. A story I had grown up with but wouldn't understand the significance of until this moment. And, uh, and then came Josephine, and Josephine and I, we can't actually remember when we connected on this project. We just, it kind of just happened and suddenly we're sparking um, uh, over the story and, um, and Josephine would then go on to craft the story into something new and quite exquisite, I think. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and my fears around it began uh, to, clo uh, my fears around it began to um, dissolve as Josephine took the story and elegantly shifted it. So, e kore mihi kia um, so yeah, an important and necessary collaboration for me to come through this project and I have huge gratitude to the magic that brought us together and to our tūpuna who made it happen and, um, and Tiri and Bash has become our story and I'm very proud of it indeed. So acknowledging this collective of women, skilled, talented, experienced storytellers, um, I feel extremely honoured to be up here with them. Um, it's definitely the way to make films. And I'm, uh, I'm excited about the future and um, what we'll do together soon. So <laughs>
really nervous about doing that because it's the first time I've ever introduced myself in Māori. Um, and it's also um, very relevant for what I'm going to talk to you about today. So yeah, just a little background. I wrote the screenplay for To the Ambassion. Our um, Nui directed it beautifully. Um, I like to call myself the silent nine in this group, or Iwa Vagina. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is an image of me when I was four years old um, at kindergarten. I'm the one second to the left with her top half down. I know. I really wanted to be a boy when I was a kid, but that's like a different conversation. Uh, um, I chose this image because this is the last time I can ever remember identifying with my Māori culture and actively engaging in it. Uh, my mum is Pākehā, my dad is Māori, and as I got older I really avoided engaging in the language and the culture of being Māori. Um, it terrified me, to be honest, and the longer I left it, uh, the scarier it became. But I, I am Māori, you know, the haka makes me cry, a karanga will bring me to my knees, um, and it awakens this, this thing inside me, this dormant creature inside me that really wants to get out, and I've been pushing it under. Um, so when I was asked to come on board as a writer for Waru, um, I thought I'd challenge myself, and to be honest, I also wanted to leave after the first day. I felt really white, I felt really ignorant, and I felt like my voice wasn't valid. Um, I felt that because I wasn't raised Māori, my voice wasn't really relevant. And I found my whole life, I've sort of been dancing between these, these two different cultures and these two worlds. I've always felt like I've had to choose between being Pākehā or Māori. And, and I did choose, I chose, um, I chose Pākehā, to be honest, because it was easier. And I grew up watching my dad struggle this Māori man in a white man's world. So I, I chose Pākehā, and I could physically get away with it. Um, but working on Wāru, it, it forced me to engage with something that's been really dormant, really, really dormant inside me. Um, my biggest risk, I guess, on this project was allowing myself, giving myself permission to really engage with my with my own culture, with something that is me. It's in my blood, it's, it's me. Um, and I had to give myself permission to write about it. I, I, I had to give myself permission to write about it. And I, I had to also like not be scared to put my hand up and ask someone to translate for me when these amazing women would suddenly just drop into Māori and everyone's sitting around going, yeah. Mm. And I was like, yeah, hold on. And I was like, Awa, Awa, what are they saying? What does it mean? She's a very smart woman. Awa knows so much penny. Um, I had to put my hand up and say, like, I've got no fucking idea what's going on. I don't know what I'm doing or what's happening. Um, I had to be really vulnerable and honest with myself and where I came from so that when it came to, to writing this the screenplay, the characters themselves would be vulnerable and honest and, and three-dimensional. Um, I'm a bit of a fan of Charlie Kaufman, so I'm going to quote him. Say who you are. Really say it in your life and your work. Tell someone out there who is lost, someone who is not yet born, someone who won't be born for 500 years. 
Your writing will be a record of your time. It can't help but be that. But more importantly, if you're honest with who you are, you'll help that person be less lonely in their world because that person will recognise him or himself in you and that will give them hope. Uh, I embrace my identity as a Māori Pākehā woman and, and that was my risk. Thank you. This is M. Now she's not dead. She's very much alive. This is M. And she doesn't have to take off her clothes and let her dark tresses fall over her breasts as she emerges from the river. <laughs> don't need to see that anymore. <laughs> well, unless it's just a fun action film filled with historical inaccuracy because there's a market for that. So that makes it all right. M doesn't fit into the marketplace. She can't even stand up, actually. The alcohol, probably the pee, maybe a bit of pee, the antidepressants are swirling through that body of hers, a quotidian cocktail of coke. Emma's is an addict, but she will get up though, and she will be in her own action film. I took a huge risk, and I made a 10-minute, one-shot film with stunts, with prosthetics that were applied mid-shot, magically. <laughs> A 10-week-old baby that had its own stunt double. <laughs> Unfortunately, my film is historically accurate. M wears black. She is in mourning for her life. Not that she knows it. She thinks that the black tights make her legs look skinny and the black bomber jacket makes her look cool. But she is the knight. Therefore, Te pō tangotanga, te pō uri uri. And like Runa, she is risking being scooped up by the moon for banishing and being banished for dabbling in the night. But it is day because the night is never long enough for addicts. If M was emerging from a river with her hair, which she did spend 35 minutes perfecting with the straightening irons, it would cover her breasts. But not now. Her hair just hides her face. It covers her mouth. Because M doesn't have, a, doesn't have a voice. She hasn't had one since 1988. But M is now an action figure in her own action film. She is going to haul that totally wasted body of hers off the grass and leap tall buildings in a single bound. If she had tied her hair into a top knot, she could, like Taranga, slice that top knot from her head and swaddle her baby in it. Em's a mother, but she won't be swaddling her baby in her hair as it stinks of smoke and vomit from when she threw up at 4.30 a.m. under the watchful eye of the moon. Em is Papa Tuanuku. You can see that. 
She's at one with the earth. Ko em te whenua, ko te whenua em ta koto nei. She is one half of everything. Her other half, Ranginui, stands above her. Ko Ranginui e tu nei. Em reaching up into the space. Rangi stretching down into the space, creating the tension, balance, longing, conflict that all good stories must have. But M doesn't reach up. She's too fucking wasted. <laughs> or maybe she's just fucked off with Rangi Nui getting all the attention. How come he gets to tell his stories all the time? Just because he's higher and brighter and fits into the marketplace? Why is it only the Sun Kings get to tell their stories? Why have we been blinded by the sun? But M is going to get up, and she is going to be in her own action film. But you're not going to like her. She does a terrible thing. She is an addict. She is Maxine King, Lisa Kuka, Tanya Shaler. The night, Te Poor, will pull at her, and she will leap tall buildings in a single bound, and she will overcome enemies with stealth and strength. Strength, Except the enemy is herself, her addiction, and poverty, and mental illness, and racism, and sexism. She will save the world for all of us. If Jesus had straightening eyes, he would look like M. <laughs> because she will change. Because change can happen. Balance is achievable. The sun can shine, the earth can flourish, and we can share the space. This is M. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of 50-50. They're like, what do you mean? And I was like, 
it's amazing and it's innovative and it's exciting and I love collaborating and it's going to be awesome and 50% of me is just like, yes! And the other 50% of me is out the door, just nah, too scary, too painful, don't want to do it, it you know. And that's how I left that experience. I was, I was just sitting on the fence waiting for the call. And then I got the call. <laughs> and I just, you have to summon so much courage because it's so scary. And particularly for me as a new writer and film director, I don't particularly see that I have the skill to do something without actually doing it. I can't sort of step into something and write something so deep and scary and hurtful and then just go, oh, right, <laughs> So we had to take ourselves to these places and we took ourselves to these places and we cried and we broke each other and we allowed ourselves to be vulnerable and it was really sore. And we had to develop a way to protect ourselves. And so I have a very supportive family. I have real life babies who I can care for and look after and who were able to heal me when I went to work. And I have a bestie who was my counsellor. <laughs> she probably needs counselling after this film too. Um, so I knew that I would have all of those things going into this. What I didn't know is how much we would look after each other. Um, we created a safe space together and we allowed ourselves to pull ourselves apart. And then we asked people to get on board with us and we pulled apart crew and we pulled apart actors, and we added children in. <laughs> it was just a big crying shambles. We, there, there were literally times when we couldn't get off the floor. And whether you're writing fictional characters and fictional stories, the truth is that they're based on real truths. So, particularly in a one-shot, you have to be there. You have to experience it. And we were quite often on each other's shoots, and, we're just crying all the time on each other's shoots and the directors would call cut and there were just these massive moments of silence where everybody had to collect themselves back together again because you had to go to these real places. And fortunately for us, we could do that in a safe space and with a great amount of love because at the end of the day, we have the reward. And the reward for me, that is the reason why we did this, why we tore ourselves apart, why. And it's because we wanted to start conversation, we want dialogue to happen, we want action to happen, and we want to save children. And this is a film, and this is a job, and we are directors, and we are women, but we want to save children. So if you look at the risk versus the reward, that cancels out the risk. To me, the reward is why I made this film and why I took part in this COVID life and why I told my whole truth and why I put my true stories and my true feelings and my heart into a story for literally hundreds of people to see. No, I made her up. It's because she's just a character. 
It's not real. I'm just really good at making things up. Um, that's why this film was worth the risk for me. Which translates to success cannot be attributed to an individual, it's upon the contribution of a collective. And that's to those who have come before us, those who stood beside us, and those who come after us. That man, woo, he said some things. Stand up, but I'm not going to. Because <laughs> I'll spend my five minutes trying to get back off the floor. Yeah. What Chelsea, what all of you said. Um, I really struggle with coming here to talk to everybody because my risk is um, very personal. So I was trying to juggle as to whether I would share it with you or not because I am even newer than Case, I've never even been on a, on, a, on a film shoot. So really, the risk of the shoot wasn't there, um, because I actually didn't know what to expect. But um, six years ago, I became invisible. I got paralyzed from the waist down by an illness that was so rare, nobody actually knew what it was. And to many of my peers, my career was over. And I instantly disappeared from the industry. I worked so, uh, the industry that I had worked so hard in and loved as a documentary filmmaker. Um, being paralysed and lacking the required wheelchair skills and upper body strength, I needed to do anything more than to go backwards and forwards. I needed something to um, fill in my time. So I started writing, lots of angry writing. Um, risk is the potential of gaining or losing something of value and my illness had robbed me of my mobility, my independence, and my life as I knew it. I was no longer the vibrant, charismatic go-getter um, that I used to be in my previous life. Um, I was disabled. And Wynne's blessing gave me a label, I was an invalid. Um, so, I read about it. Um, life was quite tough, but it was about to get quite a lot worse. Years ago, my son, my only son, Kingston, took his life. He was only 22. Now, I wanted to die as well, but I had to be strong because I had two daughters and he left um, a son behind my, my grandson who would grow up and even know his dad. But I had to sort my shit because I had responsibilities. So I wrote about it. Um, after Kingston died, nothing really seemed to matter. Nothing was going to affect me the same way ever again, ever. Nothing mattered except for my things and family. 
So I started applying for everything and anything I could, and it didn't matter if I got it or not, because what was meant for me wasn't going to pass me by. And I applied for Wadu. Um, and because I got in, it meant that they obviously saw something like my mother did in me. Um, and maybe I did have something to say, but that was my first cross quads, did I? And was it worthy? Being invisible, you kind of just sort of step back, in, like, you know, you step back into the background and you just watch, and that's why right. I was dreading this. I was dreading this because everyone's looking at me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, risk credit's hit again, and of course I questioned my own abilities, and I literally had nothing, nothing to lose and everything to gain. So without thinking too much about what was going to happen, I found myself in collaboration with these awesome ladies. And um, yet another risk, eight, nine, eight, flash Māori woman. They certainly felt underqualified and even more gimpy because look at how stunning they were. Um, but their support for me as the newbie was unparalleled. I couldn't have asked for a better group of sheilas if I had that myself. Um, and this child abuse co-papa is nothing new to me. All of my documentaries feature in one way or another either victims or perpetrators or the families of. So being part of the Wadu team meant I could take the stories that I knew so well and dictate the outcome. I could save the survivor, whereas in my docos I couldn't. I could only be a witness and give them a voice. So I adapted a film that I had written um, a long time ago, some of my angry writings, I've got lots of them. Um, <coughs> Mere, that's Mere there, Acacia Hapi. I adapted a film I'd written and I knew that I could save her, I could give her the power and I could give her strength. Whereas, um, yeah, I could give her power and I could give her strength and I could call out the abusers, the community, and my risk was could I pull it off. And one of our production hui, there were a few people that felt quite uncomfortable with the story that I wanted to tell and, um, and what I had proposed to make and how I was wanting to make it. There was concerns about portraying abuse on the marae at a child's tangi by a Māori man and the fear was that I was reinforcing the stereotypes. And being the newbie again, uh, another risk, do I change the story to make it more palatable or do I stick to my truth? Um, I rang my kuro and asked him what he thought. I was in a bit of a quandary because I really wanted to tell my story but I didn't want to upset the, the balance. Um, and he said, he said to me, do it, it needs to be talked about and if you have the opportunity to talk about it, it's your responsibility to do it, but you've got to do it right. So because we are women, we sorted it. I don't think men could have done it. I don't think men could have sat around the table and nutted it out and we sorted it. And hopefully everyone was happy. I certainly was because I got to keep my, my truth. Um, so, and so the biggest risk for me was to stay true to my story. Um, I wanted to pay homage to Wadu, our, our boy who was the centre of the, uh, our film, and Mehdi, and to all of those that I know have been abused. And this time they win they take back their power. And I trusted in the crew and I was up front right from the beginning telling them of my experience and what I didn't know, which was a hell of a lot more than what I did know. And they were respectful of me and not once made me feel invisible. 
or inadequate. It's hard to be invisible though when I'm bleeding around on the ogo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Story. Um, another risk was that I didn't realise that um, that I was taking was that my two my two leads there never acted before. Um, and like I said, because I didn't really know what I was doing, I didn't know what I could get wrong. So I just just went for it. Um, Acacia Hapi and Mahutonga had never acted, so I left the technical stuff to the technical people and concentrated on my actors. My three experienced actors, Kimo, Antonio and Crystal, wrapped around Acacia and Mahutonga, and as did um, Casey and Ainsley, my pit crew I call them, because they were always there at the end of the phone when I needed, what do I do, what, what's happening, I don't know, what is this about? And um, they were always there, and Case was on, on set, so she was, yeah, my pit crew. It's much nicer than what you call yourself, but um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and everybody helped me make media. It definitely wasn't my film. It was a was everybody helped. And for me, the risk is putting myself out there again, standing standing here in front of everybody, talking about my life. But by far, I think the biggest risk is that you guys took on me because I'm physically and emotionally damaged. And I thank you all for supporting me to be visible again. kind of um, probably uh, sort of represents one of my biggest risks, even though I didn't realise the risk I was taking till I guess that's like half of my cast. So what happened was I um, was told we had to write this film in a one-shot, which momentarily freaked me out, and then I got dangerously excited by it. <laughs> <laughs> And so I thought, one shot, it's kind of like writing a play, and I'm a playwright, I come from theatre originally, where you just, you know, you can have this 10-minute scene, it's all in one take. And so I got really excited about it, how many twists and turns can I give in the story, and how many characters can I have, oh my god, and so I kept <laughs> adding new characters, and ringing up Kyle and Kerry going, Heads up, heads up, I just thought I needed a guitar playing woman. So my protagonist is going to come running out, woman playing guitar in the field next minute. Heads up, she's going to have like three kids around her. Oh, I know, I, I've done this other thing. A guy races through with a pavlova, pavlova drops, big mess, people skid in it. Causes lots of disaster, it's going to be great. So I did all of this, and then I turned up, and it said in the kota, the story of a marae, the kitchen, and there was this huge cast, and I just went, you fucking stupid, stupid writer. Because the writer in me is fine. The director doesn't know what the hell she's doing. So that's when I ju was just about sick, and anyway, <laughs> cut to, the film was made. I, I, I remember I threw a proverb at them, because proverbs, proverbs are always quite good, people think they have to listen to them. So, 
Mā whero, mā pango, ka oti aiti mahi, which is mean, with, with all of us together, we'll get this work done. And then they got a little bit excited by that, so they all started helping out, and, and we <laughs> managed to get this um, film made. So that was, that was awesome, and they were just a fantastic, fantastic cast. Um, but I'd also like to talk briefly about, for me, um, the thing about this production, and it's been addressed by the other woman today in various ways, that wasn't a risk. And what wasn't a risk about making this film is the very thing from, normally for me that is the biggest risk as work, of working as a creative in the screen industry, where I am usually or often the only one of me representing quite a lot of me. <laughs> where I have sleepless nights because I feel so alone or out of context, where I don't have sisters like these ones to call on, or talk me through or out of my angst that I feel, not just for myself, but for the characters I have helped create and also for the audience that I really want to reach. I am usually or often the only woman. I am usually or always the only Māori. And although we pretend that that's all good, we all know quietly that I'm there to make it okay to tick yeah. some boxes. I usually or always feel like a shadow of who I am. The on-screen characters that I represent are also ghosts. I can never quite get a grasp of them. Who am I, I say, and who are they? When I watched the trailer of Waru, my whole wairua was affected. It was the first time I had seen so many Māori women at one time on the screen. This is what I, as a writer, as a director, as an audience member, and as a person like you all who lives in this community, this country, have, had been missing. Gone was the trepidation I normally feel at being the only one. These women on screen and off were reflections of me, my family, and of the people I know. Charm, the 50-something-year-old woman who works in the kitchens of the marae, is the backbone of the iwi, and she's my personal superhero. Tiri and Bash, the Māori Terminator sisters, who risk their own lives in order to save a child. Yeah, bring it on, Tiri and Bash. <laughs> Anaheda, the teacher that fucks a man up against a bathroom wall and doesn't even care. Wow. What you say? Māori woman can be ruthless and sexy too? Get out of here! And then we have M the waster who we hope wants, hope wants to make a better life for herself and her baby after she gets off the ground. Uh, but it doesn't matter if she doesn't because she's only one of us. There's so many others. Mary, the child who armed with the strength of her grandmother, takes on the perpetrators of the pa. Go Mary, go Mary. <laughs> Hinga, the grandmother who relinquishes the body of her mokopuna when it's claimed by Ranui, another grandmother, in order that her spirit might find peace. Nairi, the news reporter who takes on the Mike Hoskins of this world and finds the courage on air to speak her truth. <laughs> Mihi, the struggling solo mum, who learns to let go of her pride and accept the help of a neighbour. We all know Mihi. We might have been Mihi. The Waru woman 
The Wari women are our world. They are our truth. And already for me, without even seeing the film, this project and the kaupapa that it carries has made it the most meaningful on-screen production that I've been involved with ever. Fitty Vagina, signing out. <laughs>
Out of respect for my tiaroa whānau, I distanced my story from our protocols and aligned them more with the Ngāpuhi protocol. There was more room to move. Aside from the tikanga risk, another very obvious risk was the fact that I had written two queer characters that rarely, rarely exist on the agency books. I decided my queer needed to be native speakers of te reo Māori, raised in an environment which harks back to the old times and willing to step into these roles. My casting director, Yvette, and I both knew that it was going to be a struggle to cast these roles and believe me, it was. And just at the moment of despair, when I was doubting I would find my queer in time, Katie said two words to me that turned this casting dilemma around. Karaina Rangiho. A two-way filmmaker and actress raised in an isolated community in the old ways. During our video, video call audition, she did a stirring karanga um, for me and owned the dialogue on the page. Despite her initial reservations around the heaviness of the kaupapa, she accepted the role of Rānui. The next mission was to find another kuya who could um, match Karaina. One day I actually drove two hours to, uh, to a small town to audition a kuya. I'd interviewed a few days prior, a few months prior to discover she wasn't um, a good fit, so that was a very expensive risk. I asked Karaina if she could think of anybody, and eventually she came back with the suggestion of her outer cousin Mere. When Mary sent in her tape, um, I was moved by the grief and dignity in which she approached the character Hinga. Uh, so I, needless to say, I cast her in the role, and this was uh, Mary's first ever um, role, at the first ever job as an actress. And so I found myself not only with two strong queer leads, but they were Fano, a connection you can only wish for on screen. The next mission was finding a marae that would allow us to find, film this kaupapa. Understandably, marae were very wary to associate themselves, particularly due to the fact that we were putting an empty coffin you know, within their whare tūpuna, and they believed that it would create a karanga mate or call to someone to, the, you know, to fill it. Um, I completely understood this fear, and though one particular marae declined in the end, I knew it was important for me as a Māori filmmaker to make sure that the spiritual safety of the project was paramount. You don't stop being a Māori because you're making a film. <laughs> In the end, we found the perfect marae down with the kaupapa, and coincidentally enough, they had an ancestor called Waru. The fit was blessed. The biggest risk I felt personally was working with the DOP, um, Drew Sturge, whose work I was unfamiliar with. I created extensive visual references for him, 23 pages of images and notes that reflected the tone, compositions, rhythm, pace, Paul Drew, so that he could understand what I was asking from him. Though I had no camera pointing on my film until the shoot day, and my, prior, uh, prior, my day prior to shooting was undoubtedly the most anxious I had ever felt coming into making something, we got it in the can. Yeah. We had to. You see, the story to me felt like an honouring of the voice of our ancestors, and there was no choice but to work hard and for me to do everything I possibly could with my cast, crew and story to achieve that goal. I believe that these amazing kui up here would have expected nothing less. There is no greater motivating factor than to serve kaupapa and to remember that our work is possible because of their work. We walk in the shadow of giants who have proven to us that the greatest risk can be in doing or saying nothing. May we never lose our voices, Wahine Ma. Tēnā koutou. Tēnā koutou.
very surprised at the lack of tears. I might be the first. <coughs> um, and the risk of going last is everything's already been said, but however. Can you hear me, Esther? Is this better? Oh. <laughs> so, what's already been demonstrated, I think, and what I, my first line is, that the story about risk is really a story about truth. I thought the biggest problem would not be would not um, would be not having any control, particularly coming as a producer, usually a producer, not being able to make the choices about crew, um, not ultimately being able to make the decisions. Um, I also felt, though, in my experience, that as long as you know the rules, as long as you walk in eyes wide open, and as long as you can do the best that you can within the context that you're walking into, then that's enough. But what I understand now, and it's what Renee has just said, is that actually if somebody else sets the rules for you and always has, then the risk is to step inside that context and step inside those rules that you haven't created and not challenge them because things need to change. So I want to mihi to you who have stood and spoke your truth because it's not easy, because truth is the risk, to stand up inside this space, to stand up in a colonised industry, one that we're attempting to decolonise and have been doing uh, you know, Meditor's words to decolonise the screen for decades. Um, so on a personal note about risk, in the development phase um, was where we, Kerry and Kyle, set a beautiful environment for us just to create, where the nine of us essentially, and others, but essentially the nine of us sat and talked without a schedule, which drove the producer and me crazy. I wanted to put some context around it and set some goals, but they didn't, and we talked, and then Casey would stand up and do some thing on the whiteboard and I'd argue with her about what's cinematic and, <laughs> and the producer and me was going, man, I wish Kerry would just shut this down because it's such a waste of time. <laughs> um, but no, it was the most awesome part of the experience because it really taught me to trust in the process. I always talk about trusting in the process, but actually just to sit in that space and, and just be allowed to totally free flow um, and what resulted was after one day we had essentially all of our stories and within four days we had our first drafts which weren't far away from our final drafts. The, the energy of that space was incredible um, and it resulted in this incredibly tight collaboration of women, the, 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 the kind of the unbreakable bond that even when we became isolated or on our own kind of... Um, returning to our homes or on our own shoots, we had this um, invisible, invisible thread to this incredible power at our side, at our back. Um, but yes, yeah, so I brought an idea to the table that I thought was really good. I was really well prepared and I told everyone I'd brought myself to tears at the, when I was telling everyone and it was, I thought it was this fantastic idea and then we had some time to go away and think about our ideas and come back and present our stories again for our films. And I felt sick and I felt anxious. And there was this incredibly wonderful energy, but I just, I didn't feel like I belonged. I just wanted out. And I told Kerry about it and I said, I think maybe I'm just afraid I'm gonna do a shit job. And she was very, um, you know, she was very kind and she consoled me and I sat down after morning tea to 
what I thought was talk about my script. But what actually came out of my mouth was my truth. I had, I started talking about, oh yeah, here it goes. I really want to get through without crying. <laughs> okay, um, <clears throat> that um, just my fears as a woman and as a mother, um, my truth about where I really fit in this kaupapa and who I really am and how I really am and what I do and what I say. And, um, and there were tears and obviously I, I had to just expose myself and as a result what happened is some of the other women started to share their truth. Um, and it was painful as some of the others have said, it was painful. And um, as a result of this, the, the table opened up and we shared our stories and we shared ourselves and our pain. And the greatest risk it ended up for me was telling the truth and exposing myself to these women and letting them know what my story and what it was really about. And it's what I ask writers to do all the time. I ask them to find themselves in the material, to expose themselves in the material. And I was thinking, shit. <laughs> it's not an easy ask, but I, I've, I've always meant it. I've just never experienced it in that way. And so the greatest risk for me was just telling the truth and being laid bare and open. And the greatest reward was to be laid bare and open and to tell the truth to this group of women and to see how it made my story better. So risk is the truth and the reward is truth. And this is part of why women are missing in our industry. It's because of our process. Our process, this is our process. It's collaborative, it's emotional, it's deeply connected, it's fierce, it's fraught, it's scary when you're inside it, it's fucking scary when you're outside of it. Um, and people don't get it. And the challenge for our industry is to trust the inherent processes that belong to us as women and as Māori women and to back us in our truth the whole way. Kerry and Kyle, you know, trusted us with this process from the outset. And then the current context of our colonised industry kicked in, as it always does, budget, schedule, um, budget, schedule, deadlines, delivery, it's, I totally understand that. But you suddenly become torn because you've started in something that felt very sacred and now we're into the phase of something that feels very functional. It becomes technical versus emotional, functional versus emotional, practical versus tikanga. It shouldn't be that way. Because those are the rules that have been written for us. And now that risk of not being in control of the process feels scary again. And I'm going to quote Jill Soloway because she rocks. <laughs> She's talking about the female gaze. G-A-Z-E. It's totally joke. I stole that totally. <laughs> um, and, I, and I'll use it in this context to talk about the female Māori gaze. The female gaze is political protagonism and it is not afraid to ask what is toxic masculinity and when are we going to be done with it. The female gaze is more than a camera or a shooting style. It is an empathy generator that says, I was there in that room. I was there and this is my shame and this is... 
this is my shame and this is my life and this is my humour and I will take all of it and I will put it into my protagonist and I will light it and I will have music and we will side with her. Kia ora. We can um take on this challenge that is kind of in a way designed more for for online for an online release but the challenge was to to be cinematic because our goal is for for a theatrical release so yeah with that for a while since 2009 or something um, but also we yeah it's we wanted to in, in order to um, I guess be innovative be able to make the film in a non-traditional way to be able to have this many women making that film and how that would work um, yeah so lots of those sorts of reasons and budget <laughs> Okay. Eight is a magic number in the ancient Māori world. Kia ora. Uh, no? We're all good here. We're all good.